Hello, um, Hello. and welcome to episode three of Doggerland podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Tom. Um, Tom is calling in, hence his far away sounding voice. Um, Hiya. <laughs> um, and we're like super lo-fi, so basically we're just recording Tom whilst he talks on speakerphone in the room. Because <laughs> we're really professional like that. Um, it, it was going to be professional with an app. Yeah, sure. The app didn't work. That, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's so how professional. That necessary. Yeah, I love. I love you saying it was going to be professional. Yeah. We're like almost professional. But alas. Yeah. It's deceived again. I would say proudly non-professional, personally. But... Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, today we are. We have like a conversation we recorded with um, Tessa Norton um, yep. around her essay, Becoming Baby, 10 Lessons on Stupidity, Boredom, Time and Escape, um, yep. which is published in the fifth issue of Dogland Journal on Sociality and Idiocy, which you can um, buy on our website. It's been out for a couple of months now. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, we chat with Tessa at the uh, Royal Academy um, sort of late last year when her text was sort of just wrapping up. Her text on Becoming Baby is kind of like a, an account of um, yeah, 10 lessons on what her experiences have been like having a child um, about three years ago so and the kind of disruptive nature that that introduces into your life in terms of um, a, a new a, a new relationship to time um, a, a, a new kind of space outside of uh, employed work or labor um, but also just and, like from society you know I guess she talks kind of about how having a baby occludes you from society in potentially mm. interesting ways. It's a kind of yeah. baby bubble, as she kind of calls yeah. it. And that baby bubble is, like, a key character of that is sort of, uh, like, her notion of boredom. And, um, you know, the, you have a new uh, relationship to what boredom can be and sort of not uh, being hesitant to what, uh, to what boredom can be like so sort of inhabiting uh, many hours just sort of playing with slime as she describes at one point which is quite nice yeah as well as the kind of uh slightly weird aspects of sleep deprivation that obviously in the early days you were living through when you have a child um yeah. but and, yeah, and like... just in terms of like living in proximity to a baby like what that is actually what it's like, what, what her experience of living in proximity to a baby was like. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of both a becoming baby, but a, but also a sort of becoming stupid again. 
Um, or, mm. or not again, but... <laughs> you know. <laughs> Embracing the stupidity. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's probably also worth mentioning, um, you know, since the book has been out. So in the essay, Tessa talks a bit about uh, a kind of uh, the literature around um, like motherhood and how often it's kind of written in this sort of like sacred nature. And kind of talking about there being a, like a, a very noticeable lack of literature on just being around your child and not it being written in this sacred manner. Um, yeah. And Sam you, Sam, you were saying before how... Yeah. Um, well, just like on an like, anecdotal level, like lots of, well, you know, the, the, the few mums, few artist mums that I know um, uh, all spoke about like how they'd never read anything like it. Um, which I think really sort of stands testament to kind of how interesting and unusual Tessa's essay is in terms of like um, its perspective. Yeah, it's a, it's a really a really enjoyable read. It's it's very funny. Yeah, arts. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> go like go absolutely go and read go and read it. Yeah, thanks for tuning in again. Yeah. Um, we'll be in touch again soon. Yeah. But um, any thoughts or feedback, let us know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Comments or however people do it, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't know. Like, can people comment on the podcast? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Thank you. Um, yeah, cheers. Love you, bye. Bye. I think, yeah, to rewind, I've been kind of fascinated by boredom and by work ever since I started working because it's you know and it's something that you know most people have to do have some sort of day job and we feel kind of in literature or in the art world that you're not supposed to play it down or you're not supposed to talk about it or you know you're supposed to be kind of a bit you know you're just supposed to magically be able to you know afford stuff and show up for stuff without having to have a job and the only you know I don't have an answer to making being able to afford to write or make work apart from just like have another job and get paid for that instead it's yeah. you know and I think most people are in the same position but but just the even before I um, um, started doing the kind of writing that I'm doing at the moment and you know like a lot of writers I tried lots of different things before I found something that um, that fitted and I've got like abandoned novels and sitcoms and stuff that just never went anywhere but it's I've found the, the kind of the boredom and that kind of um, that loss of control over your own time that comes with working full time 
to be like really super super fascinating and you know and with it all that kind of the sort of the, the sort of kitsch and paraphernalia that goes with offices and like office culture and stuff like that that everyone is kind of not everyone but like loads of people are really really steeped in but can never ever talk about because it it's like super uncool or you have to kind of admit that you're not this perfect artist who's just kind of like in the studio all the time or whatever but in fact you actually spend yeah. the majority of your life like yeah, using totally. weird jargon that yeah. doesn't make any sense outside of that space. yeah completely and like if you ever kind of slip into it it's like really really embarrassing yeah. like I don't know. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> or just like, even people like describing their job titles. Uh, yeah, like now yeah, I've yeah. got a kid. I watch more daytime TV than I used to. And like whenever people are on a game show introducing kind of what they do, they always give like their work dark <laughs> title, and it's just like just say I work with you know. I touch yeah. a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, 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 completely. <laughs> or you know, just simplify it a little bit, and yeah. So yeah. that's I'm, 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 you just you do you're like you're sorry, you're completely, completely steeped in it. Mm. But just being able to kind of like resist that, or at least recognise when it's there, I think is quite an interesting, um, interesting space. So having a kid in having my son in 2016 was. I don't know, I just found it interesting as like, okay, this is a gap year. What's time gonna feel like? You know, what's what's you know, what's this like? And I'm you know, I'm I'm lucky that my partner and I both had flexibility in our work. Yeah, he's a writer and is freelance and was up for doing fifty percent of everything and um that's worth a lot, like Flexibility is worth more than like you know, you know. How much you can sort yeah. of, like, provide or you know, yeah, completely. Because like the babies are very cheap, you know. It, obviously, it gets a lot more expensive later, or you kind of you know you stop um, noticing costs later. But those sort of first six months, you know, really you just need to be able to see how much flexibility you can afford, and so that was a complete kind of disruption for us to you know just to kind of go from this having spent kind of more than 10 years on this kind of like conveyor belt of time where you know you, you kind of you, you go out you come back you know you mm-hmm. everything that you do um, that doesn't fit into that framework is something where you've had to like claw that space in yourself and just to have something be a bit more kind of freeform and to be very closely attuned to an infant as well who obviously has no idea about what time it is mm-hmm. um, and is the free form scary in some ways um, I think I really liked it um, but that said I probably <laughs> didn't um, get as much done in terms of like um, you know behaving like a normal functioning adult as <laughs> I should have done like I, you know I found it very hard to leave the house a lot of days because you know we were fine we were we were happy with it but like you know there's a lot of people kind of um, try and get into more of a routine and I think basically a, a kid is fine either way it's like, but if you're an adult who likes a routine that is what you're going to want to do and if you're an adult that doesn't care then you can not care um, but you know 
yeah, getting out of the house to go to a play group that started at 11 in the morning or something was completely beyond me. And, you know, happily, like, my kid doesn't really care. I, like, it's fine. So I put quite low expectations on myself for, like, the kind of stuff I had to do. So the disruption, yeah, for me was, was all right. I liked it. Um, and it also he was born in January so it kind of fitted with the chronology of a year quite well like it was sort of summer by the time we were kind of emerging back into the world and oh, nice. so that kind of felt alright that felt good um, but yeah I just I, I liked it being different I was, I was ready for a break and ready to sort of experience time differently and I felt that I'd spent my adult life making a lot of assumptions about what time was and um, that it was, you know, this kind of very real, objective thing. And that collapsed a little bit, I would say. You know, it felt like all the things that you were using to measure time, they're, you know, they're actually things that we've imposed on it, they're structures that we've imposed on it, and time kind of doesn't exist when you strip all that away you know and you if you you're in a I think um I was reading a little bit about uh, the concept of telescoping time which a lot of people with chronic illnesses can experience as well so it's it's where like your perception goes a bit wonky so you can feel like some minutes are just you know you look at the clock and like two hours have gone and then later on in the same 24-hour period it can feel like things are kind of creeping incredibly 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 slowly um, I felt yeah and I could like I'd, I'd know I'd, I'd read a bit about illness and sort of, so Susan Sontag and um, a friend at Wising's um, been working with Joanna Hedford's sick woman theory and stuff like that and I think there are definite parallels between like um, you know, spaces of illness and as kind of disruption, I suppose, and early parenthood. Not that it is an illness, obviously, but just that kind of way of you're on a different clock and you're, you know, you're experiencing things differently. And that's quite connected to being pretty much economically inactive as well. So you're not kind of participating in, um, in society in the way that you're expected to. But I... Um, yeah, so it was odd, but good odd, I think, and I, I, yeah, I felt really ready for, for a break and for a disruption. And how does that like uh, then pan out with people who are not on a kind of dislocated sort of uh, standard notion of time and uh, how things are bracketed through the day? Um, it's a good question. I haven't really gone back to like the old way, I would say. I mean, this, we're like nearly three years down the line now, and um, you know, I'm, I work three days a week, I freelance the other days, my partner also freelances. Yeah. Like, we're, you know, we're getting work done, but I still feel like there's a residual sense of that kind of disrupted week staying with me. It's like, and it's like, there's, there's something quite liberating about how obviously you've got more to do you've got another life to care for but it's also like someone's like handed you all the hours that are in a week and just gone there you go they're all yours you can arrange them however you want oh you have got this other thing to do there but you've also got more control 
just because you know you're in charge yeah. and I've always felt like quite productive when I'm a bit overloaded um, so I guess that was good I found it quite like creatively stimulating and ended up writing quite a lot but in really short bursts you know it would be very hard to write a novel but you can you can do fragments and you can do journalism and you can do poetry and stuff like that my partner's a writer as well and he's supposed to be writing a big non-fiction book and he's he's got loads of work done but he's found just getting stuck into the book's been quite hard Whereas kind of doing like shorter pieces and shorter essays and stuff has been fine. You know, you yeah. can get loads done or you can even like do bits of project management or curating yeah. or, you know, oh, stuff like that. You can, because you can break the tasks yeah. up into this new kind of disrupted way of being. Sorry, this is like quite practical time no. management <laughs> advice, but it was just, it was so different for me. And I think that's a really interesting I, part yeah. of it though. And the same was... So this is, is this specific to before so your child goes to like play school? Yeah, I think, I guess it probably is. in a kind of, a, mm. a kind of, a very specific time I mean, frame again? there's definitely, there's definitely a sense in which I'm, you know, there's a lot that you can't do. I'm being like quite optimistic and positive about the whole kind of disruption experience but there is a lot you can't do and I think people generally seem talking to friends who've got older children do seem to find it like really good when they start school because you've suddenly got kind of your days back again mm-hmm. um, and, t- and t- presumably like time um, fi- like finally again time without mm. a, 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 another person like a child that's, that has purchase over your attention yeah, totally. And without having to just constantly think, like, you know, can we go into that place? Can I meet this person there? Is this going to be too difficult? Because, you know, once again, you are just a, one person that you need to worry about. And so, yeah, that's it's, I think it maybe it's time limited nature or the, dis- the time limited nature of the disruption. Um, it's helpful mm-hmm. if I and also like, like I, I yeah I only have one child and I'm only gonna have one child so if you you know my parents are both one of four you know that was much more kind of normal in those days but mm-hmm. even now it's like classic mm-hmm. you know, people have a second one and like that obviously changes it all again because then one of you has always got one of the children if you're in a couple or if yeah. you're on your own you've yeah, yeah. always got two so yes there's like there's a lot of things that where it's limited for me that it's not for everyone I suppose yeah. and I'm quite fortunate for, for that. Can I get like so like saying how like obviously it can be productive in the sense of actually doing work that is productive you know in a kind of general sense I'm going back to earlier in the text where you say like oh you know watch that you don't get bored can you talk about the kind of like you know the the role of how like care and love is enacted as a as a as a new mother and how that is disassociated with like productive time because it has no kind of use value within a kind of I think that was something that I found um 
really problematic about the way that people warned me about time and about parenthood, you know, because it was, yeah, obviously this kind of mind you don't get bored thing, but also just the kind of the sense that, um, you know, you're about to lose something of yourself and that you will necessarily be compromised by having someone to care for. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think, as I say in my essay, there's, you know, there's not been that much literature about having a kid, or certainly not compared to like how common it is in life, you know, and it's, I kind of feel like it is still a slightly gauche, gross thing to write about. I feel kind of basic or whatever in a way that, you know, um, that's not always a kind of comfortable thing to be thinking about. But yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of stuff that's about, you know, kind of motherhood as a prison or, you know, is, uh, you know, quite an oppressive institution or, you know, that kind of thing. And a lot of that, I think, well, you know, there's, so there's sort of Adrian Rich and, and, you know, other things that are kind of from the 70s. Yeah. And a lot of that, it reflects its time. Like, her husband sounds awful, you know, like, so there's, there was kind of no sense that you might have a child outside like a straight male and female relationship or as a single person or anything like that and um, by kind of talking making writing about parenthood and the kind of the themes of parenthood really linked to that the way that a woman in an unequal straight partnership would have felt under capitalism in the West you know it's not all about the kids you know there's, there's a lot going on there yeah. there's a, there's a yeah. lot of kind of there's shit men and shit jobs and inadequate social structures and it's not um, it's not the fault of caring I don't think that people have found it oppressive and also I think sure that it like you know, there's a simplification that it gets put like that the opposition is like you talk about it being just a simple like a very simplified opposition between like um, care for a child and self-care mm, yes like, yeah exactly and self-care being this kind of quite capitalist you know kind of get your, your head done. and get your nails done yeah, all that yeah. kind of thing and um, you have great nails yeah oh thanks and I did them myself <laughs> <laughs> thank you um but yeah, so and it, it, it's it's not caring's fault, and I think care is a little chink of light in that kind of capitalist, you know. It's, it's a you know it's a, it's an, a different way of being in the world. It's you know it's um, it doesn't have to be this kind of oppressive thing. And if there are things about the setup that are oppressive, then you know you can't let capital or the patriarchy or whatever off the hook because there's lots of other stuff that is making this horrible and I think also there's a way in which um, you know obviously birth or having a kid you know there's a lot about it that is gendered but you know there's there's also a lot of ways that I think you know we should be able to resist that or to question it at least. 
because a lot of what women are told is you know this is well you know it's hard for you but you know you are the mother and you're very special and only you can do this and you know I you know I don't think that's true like obviously there are you know there are physical things that female bodied people can do that male bodied people can't but also the those you know when me and my partner were saying in like the early days there's like there's very little that you know you wouldn't be able to get done with you know any number between one and three or four of any gendered parents you know there's sure like breastfeeding's healthy but then living in a city is not healthy so like not everyone's going to be able to tick all the boxes at any one time and you know there's we should be questioning these things I think because it's having kind of a diverse range of family structures is going to be better for the next generation it's just better for everyone we should always be able to you know the irony is that like um and like like there's a interesting like hidden part to that which is that like in fact it's the norm like divorce Mm. rates I think in the US at the moment are at 60% so like so that's a majority of fam- of, of, of non kind of like couple married couple like um, relationships like if children are brought into that situation there's gonna like actually there's a majority there who are going to be brought up in like different family structures yeah totally yeah absolutely um you know that's you know, I'm very happily from, you know, my mum was a single mum and she was great and we had a great childhood and I think, yeah, we all want to, need to be prepared for it and just kind of talking about it as this, so there's this kind of like really, even in like in a lot of recent feminist literature, there's this very kind of like nuclear, heteronormative, middle class kind of structure. You know, even if people are being a bit eye roll about it or, you know, resisting it it's still there and it's just yeah it's not a lot of people's reality and even if it is it's you know you shouldn't be viewing it as the default because well for lots of reasons but you know it also I think makes women feel that they you know it, it can trap women in lots of ways I suppose it can but you know it, it's like being told that you're very special and that's why you have to kind of get into fall into this very special box and we're just gonna lock you in there and you know it's like this is not great none of yeah. this is great and you know this grinds my gears as a cis woman god knows how it is for um for other parents um so yeah there's there's a lot to resist I suppose and I think for for me and well, with my partner and us as a family, you know, we just we did feel quite insulated from a lot of this. We didn't read that much about it. We were quite intuitive, not in a particularly ideological way. It's just you know, it's just how we were, and it, it felt like we were you know, we were kind of hibernating a little bit, mm. and that was you know, with hindsight, not that it was a conscious decision, but that was probably quite protective. I think if you. If you if you do kind of go out in the world as a young family or with a kid, 
quite early on and you know you go to all the classes and you constantly start kind of comparing yourself against other parents it only seems to bring anxiety and stuff like that so there's there's, there's a lot of ways that um people are kind of encouraged to sort of like measure themselves against other people or you know and and then you start experiencing a kind of less disrupted time I suppose and I, it felt to me like that would be more like being at work yeah. and your performance would be being managed or something yeah. like that yeah, and you're yeah. kind of you're somehow um, measurable and and I really liked being outside of that and I think it's because I was outside of that that I was able to be quite creatively productive I suppose you know I mean for a new parent I didn't like get loads done but I you know I did some writing and it was good and I was also quite anxious and um in a way that I hadn't experienced before because I wasn't unhappy I felt very um just very raw and very disrupted is the word I keep coming back to I suppose and you know it's like you know be taking some notes or kind of writing my way through that helped me kind of make sense of it and I'm glad I did because I, I would find it quite hard to put myself back in that space now but as I was writing the essay for you guys I started like looking at old oh, notes really? in my phone and stuff like oh, that wow. and kind of pulling some of that yeah. that into it yeah so I'm glad that stuff's there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just just fundamentally, it does feel like that kind of that new baby bubble is kind of under discussed. Mm. You know, there's. Um, well, but the way that you're talking about it, I mean, it, it makes sense why it's not, in a mm. way, why it's not. Yeah. If like, if what it is, like, I don't know. I think about like. Um, there's so much kind of um, it's like it's such a like it's it's almost like the thing that's like the most so it's like a crystallization of what's what the whole of like society wants that's like the future you know so it's this like um, in terms of like kind of normative um, society's desires for itself it's like um, it's the perfect emblem for it mm-hmm. but like there's something really interesting about the idea of like the bubble actually being like an insulation from that mm. and so like it's yeah I don't know it strikes me as like oh well like actually it makes sense why people mm. wouldn't talk about that because it's like you're, it's actually like a, a safe space yeah. from it yeah really I felt you're yeah, very much I felt like that I think and you know physically you know it felt like nesting or something you know you're just kind of you're staying home a lot more and um and you're kind of you're engaging with your I don't know like just with sort of things in my flat that you know when you're working you're just like oh well I've got to go out for the day and you know say goodbye to that massive pile of books that I'm hoping that I'll get around to reading and like I'll come home and I'll be too tired to do it and you know so just by kind of like being in your own personal space a little bit more that's kind of that felt interesting and the first time in my life that I've really been able to do that so I kind of you know that's one of the you know I didn't feel that bored because I had an enormous reading pile because everyone has don't they um so you know and obviously yeah you can only do two pages at a time but it's better than nothing you know and um and certainly kind of in that really 
early days where it's like like you know I felt like you know in a cartoon character where they've got kind of stars going around their head you're kind of like very dazed and you're very kind of like outside the world but yeah it did it felt safe mm. um, does that relate to that kind of like notion you talk about about baby brain and kind of yeah. like the, yeah, maybe. the like sort of I don't know I'm, I'm like loath to sort of call it productive but like Mm. like productive aspects of that kind of like mm. dazed yeah. if we can reframe productivity I suppose so it's kind mm. of outside you know what we might use it to mean when we're at work Generative. like yeah maybe yeah yeah I like that it's yeah it did it felt it felt interesting and so, so especially because what I was reading and what I was thinking about so which is I suppose your internal life which you might not always kind of verbalise that kind of came really fused with my physical world I suppose so you especially when you've got an under six months old and I was feeding on demand so I could be woken up at any time of the day even if I'd gone to sleep you know needing to feed him and when I would feed him I would probably be reading something on my phone so you bookmark stuff to read or you just fall into a lot of Wikipedia holes and I was reading about like mysticism quite a lot like the Gnostics and things and um, I was speaking to um, a friend a few weeks ago and she said she'd kind of gravitated towards similar stuff and I I think it it maybe feels like quite it's a nocturnal slightly occult space (laughs) and you talk about so, babies as, yeah. like, as a cult. Well, I did feel like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that kind of thing of, like, what is birth? Like, this, this thing was not alive, but then it is, and you're kind of conducting this arrival of, yeah. like, an undead thing, I suppose. Like, it's, you know... Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do feel like that, and I felt like I was some sort of portal between worlds, and once that portal's been open, it doesn't completely close, and for some... So you're kind of, you're in this space that's sort of half in the room that you're in, but half in what you're reading, and it's kind of sleepy and curious, but also very tired, and everything was kind of connected, I suppose. So, yeah. I mean, probably, it's not the only way you could experience that. Sure. You know, people with insomnia probably have kind of quite a similar um, experience. I know... um, yeah, I've got an insomniac friend who watches a lot of films at night and stuff and says, like, you kind of experience it completely differently. Mm. Um, and I quite like that as a kind of learning space, I suppose, mm, yeah. that kind of nocturnal world. And you talk about that nocturnal world of, like, the baby brain and then, like, becoming baby and becoming kid or becoming yeah. child sort of later on in the day. That is the other thing. It's, like, it's... When all this talk about kind of... Um, mothers not even about mothers and fathers or parents as a kind of a non-gendered way of looking at it it's just it's really about mothers but it's just not none of the literature is about kids or what it is like to be in such close proximity to a kid Mm. and that's been yeah that's something where I don't know I guess maybe I am stupider now but it's you know, or you know, in some ways, you're um, 
you know, you can play alongside a baby and you will kind of join in with that. Um, it's, yeah, definitely not an adult way of being in the world, but I, you know, I, I felt a very strong kinship and I still do. And, um, you know, just practically speaking, like you're watching like cartoons or you're playing with Lego or whatever, and, you know, you're just back in this kind of play space. And I think when people talk about what parenthood is going to be like, the one thing that no one had said to me, which in hindsight I'm quite surprised about, is it's quite a lot like having another crack at childhood yourself. You're kind of, you're in that space. Obviously you're in it as a grown-up. Yeah. But it's really not that different. You know, like you can just sit around and play with slime or whatever you know that's sure yeah, very good. kind of experiential yeah really like, though and and like quite you know the other parallel I suppose is it it's quite a lot like being a teenage stoner as well you know that kind of insomniac thing where you're just like you know sure. you know maybe the like you on in the background with slime the slime thing like like yeah, I can yeah, this kind like of sensory thing. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, yeah. just like yeah. pulling. I know. I've yeah. Shiny and more. I've now got my three-year-old into the if you high Instagram account, which is just like satisfying videos and things like that. It's just like he loves it. So we're just like watching it. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's a lot like it's like being a child. It's like being high, you know. It's um, all these kind of disrupted things we're supposed to have left behind. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, which is so. I really like that. I re- I really enjoy how like you talking about that. Like it's really uh, it's and in kind of opposition or. Mm. Yeah, I guess opposition to this notion mm. of like the profundity mm. of motherhood, mm. like yeah, which is kind of a bit hokey, I think, you know, and a bit problematic, and you know, yeah. I mean, there is yeah, and also I don't, I don't ever want to suggest that, or really, I don't particularly want to engage with one of the central questions of motherhood literature which is like does a woman need to have a baby you know which like it you know it's you know for all the kind of things about um parenthood being or the way people think about parenthood being more gendered than it even needs to be but plus like you know it doesn't matter like of course i'm I suppose by having a kid, I'm kind of unfashionably invested in the continuity of the human race. Like, maybe that's not rational at the moment. Maybe none of us should be. But, you know, even if you are, some of us should have kids, some of us shouldn't. Like, there's certainly no need for everyone to or not to, and it doesn't matter. And um, I felt, I read some, I didn't finish it, of Sheila Hetty's motherhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it's very much from sort of successful career mm. I mean she's Canadian but like a Brooklyn mm-hmm. kind of white middle class feminist and she's really wrestling with the central decision of do I need to have a child or not need to have a child and I just thought this is like this is very low stakes suspense you know it doesn't matter you will be fine like you yeah. could have one and you'll probably enjoy it or you could not have one and you um, could go travelling a lot more and yeah, you know yeah. okay thank you okay.
Um, so yeah, it's of course, and of course it doesn't matter. And I don't really um, see the point in engaging with that too much because I think you know to wrap it up in like this thing of kind of it's women's destiny where they need to mm-hmm. to do it is just like you know it's awful and it's it makes people feel really bad and it's exclusionary and mm-hmm. just generally quite a toxic debate mm-hmm. I think. Um, and also a lot of the things I'm talking about of like how I found it valuable to be caring or to have proximity to children you know that doesn't have to be as a parent you know it could be as a you know as a relative or a friend or as an aunt or an uncle but I think it's you know it's yeah exactly but I I think it's healthy for us to engage with generations either side of the one that we're in and you know through doing that you can find different ways to be in the world that are um, maybe a bit more illuminating than just kind of like your career or your job or your treadmill or kind of whatever your however you kind of experienced life before it. Um, and yeah, and, and a lot a lot of that does come back to caring. And I also kept thinking about, you know, the things that people use as arguments to not have a child is about care being in opposition to yeah. self-care. Yeah. It's like that is a luxury that might apply for a, a few years in your late 20s to late 30s, you know, because people's family members, people's parents, people's partners, people's lovers, we're all, they're all going to get ill. We're all going to end up caring, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... We, you know, there could be another pandemic tomorrow, and you know, we could, like anything could happen, and like Actually, none of us are going to become an incredibly banal thing. Completely, like, yeah. completely, and like who's you know, we're we're probably all going to end up wiping the arse of someone we love, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like it, that might be a child, that might be an older person, like we don't know, but care is part of life, and loving is part of life, and it doesn't need to be this drudgery, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's healthy I think it's quite offensive to think about it as a kind of drudgery or as a prison mm. yeah, yeah as a sacrifice as a it, it just, that just feels like it's a fundamentally kind of gross neoliberal way of looking um. at things <laughs>